Welcome to Flake Miri, boys and girls, uh, children of all Gwent-appropriate ages, I can say. Uh, this is a show about Gwent, but so much more, as we have uh, often demonstrated on this program, this radio broadcast through space and time. I'm Flake, and I'm joined, uh, as always, by one of my favorite people ever. This is Shin Miri. How are you, buddy? I'm great, Flake. Uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Always exciting to record the podcast with you every week. Uh, we are on episode number six, and you know what that means. Mm -hmm. It's Return of the Meta. And although this is a show about Gwent, we always dive into much more and explore all the tasty tangents along the way. Tasty tangents could be a very good name for this show, honestly, because we do kind of branch off a lot, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, so today's episode is sponsored by uh, 100% grain-fed, organic, free-range nothing. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely no sponsors for this video, but hey, we are still seeking sponsors, should you be interested. And honestly, Shinmiri and I are ready to sell or promote whatever amazing product or service that you have to offer. We are shameless, but damn it, are we committed. So uh, yeah, no sponsors for this one, um, but... We're getting there, maybe? Uh, <laughs> maybe. We're shameless about a lot of things, including the Dagon rumor report not happening. Uh, not happening. No. Yeah. Not at all. Um, which is hilarious because this week's feeler on Reddit about asking for questions for this episode, I had a lot of people asking Dagon-related questions. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they're just kind of catching on. But they're buying of, into the yeah, they're buying into it. Possibly. A lot of them were like silly. It's like, is it pronounced like Dagon or Dagon? But they spelled it the same way. And then another one was yeah. how tall is Dagon in real life? Uh, how did you know they didn't mean Dagon? Oh that, yeah, I get right. <laughs> now that sounds like a Star Wars name. Uh that is absolutely mm -hmm. Dagon, like a Jedi named Dagon. Uh that would definitely be a Star Wars name. But yeah, nothing happened. Um, unfortunately for Dagon friends. But um what did happen three years ago, Shinmiri, in 2018, uh, this week in Gwent history, three years ago, Gwent introduced what was called at the time the Gwent Skirmish event, which was essentially a tournament for streamers with a small amount of money on the line. But what was cool about this was two things. Number one was that the tournament was represented by a streamer from any from a specific country. So you couldn't mm -hmm. have two from Poland or two from the United States or two from Canada or whatever. Um, it was eight streamers, but the lineup for this is essentially as blast from the past as you can get because I'm looking at this and I believe only one of these players still streams Gwent. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm looking at the list as well. Uh, lead us through this, because there's definitely some memories to dig into with this crew. All right, so from Great Britain, we've got Crokies. And the great thing about Crokies, actually, is his success in Magic, like Magic the Gathering, has been obscene. He, mm -hmm. he went to Magic when Arena came out, I believe, uh, and... The popularity for Crokies is not necessarily just because he's an entertaining dude, but his skill in the game is unheard of because he was constantly like a number one player, a number one player every season within the top 10 every single season. And that's one way to honestly, uh, you know, garnish one hell of a following is to have the entire Magic community copy your decks because you're that good. That's, yep. That is a good thing. Uh, Ash Lizzle from the Netherlands was another one. Also uh, streaming Magic currently, I believe. And... Mm -hmm. 
you, myself, and Ash Lizzle all were at Gwent Challenger 4 in Skellige. Yes, it was. I had a good time. I remember that. You and Ash Lizzle were fellow hosts together at that event. That was a cool, cool opportunity as well. She was a really, really sweet girl and uh, did, an, did an awesome job. And she's also having <laughs> exceptional success in Magic right now. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember her kicking my ass in like Mario Kart Wii or whatever version oh, it was. Oh, yes. In the hotel room. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I think, didn't we do that thing where we each, uh, there was like, I think we went into pairs of two. One person was responsible for steering and the other was responsible for like braking or accelerating and using the items, which was a ridiculous little one-two punch. Uh, that was that was ridiculous. I think I was paired up with Jagoras on that one and uh nice yeah that was a, that was pretty sweet um mcbeard mcbeard is on the, we're gonna save we're gonna save the, the 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 next one that you see there for last okay uh mcbeard from canada and uh, i wasn't chosen because some rando named mcbeard took my spot um i i can't like nod who's nod from belarus <laughs> i don't know who this I dude is i don't know um bro broja broza georgia 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 um yeah poland i think so i remember meeting him he's a cool dude he was a pretty big streamer from poland back in the day i don't know if he streams anymore i haven't seen his name around so i guess not um Ma maska from korea mm -hmm. and i mean pumpkin sir pumpkin from the usa i guess you weren't around back then for i was around but pumpkin was was much bigger than me so I think it was totally reasonable that they would get him from the U.S. as the first participant. Because originally, I think they may have been planning on doing more of these, but they ended up only doing one, right? Yeah, they did one. And I don't know if it's just because this was didn't sort of catch the, the wave that it wanted to, but I remember watching some of this, and it was actually kind of cool because some of the players along, like, Someone like McBeard really digs into the narrative of these things and was representing Canada and kind of had a lot of hype surrounding by it. Um, and yeah, I guess it just never took off. But there is one name left on the list that is still streaming to this day, and that is Miss Lady J was part of this tournament. So big props to Miss Lady J because she has honestly, I don't want to say she's stuck it out because that makes it sound like she's been struggling to, mm -hmm. to like she has just been successful and awesome uh for mid at least three years now because this tournament was is exactly three years old so uh big ups to miss lady j um yeah i'm a fan of her stream i just uh i i watch her stream along with you know crow's ears and miss lady j just recently won a fall guys tournament i believe really? so got, got herself yeah like a nice cash prize as well as uh, a gaming chair i think she got first place that's hey now she could uh, afford me to sing at her wedding that's yeah exactly with that price now again if if that does happen every time i see her I, or every time i host her or raid her or whatever i always tell my viewers i'm like okay you go ask miss lady j if she's decided what song i'm going to be singing at her wedding <laughs> and i think that the the consensus now is that it's not necessarily that she has to choose a song but if she does it has to has to factor in the fact that you and i are going to be singing it together I think that's like, yeah, I mean, we got to, which Backstreet Boys song do you want Flake and Shinri to duet at your wedding? 
Oh, that's the new question. That's a great question. That should actually be in the mailbag, but it's not going to be because no one's asked it yet. So we'll, we'll save that <laughs> one. All right. Well, um, you know, in terms of the longevity of these players and the, you know, and Miss Lady J still sticking around, but that happened again this week in Gwent. Three years ago, 2018, we had the Gwent skirmish event that kind of nothing really uh, happened after it. But hey, uh, not back for the Wayback Machine for this week. Yeah, a nice blast from the past. Um, and as always, we have your questions around the corner. But first, we want to get to the topic of the week, which uh, is going to be a big bad wolf of card collect uh, collectible card game uh, culture. That's net decking. Yes, net decking. Uh, net decking is kind of like the boogeyman. It's kind of like the taboo thing that nobody wants to admit to, but everyone does. And this is a discuss. This is a discussion that I think that you and I have a lot of um stake in and because we both have been playing card games for a long time a lot of people net deck you nobody net decks me because they'd be silly to do so but everybody net decks you because you're an excellent card you know theory crafter and whatnot but i have stake in this because i am a firm believer that i am privileged enough to have a lot of time to devote to to designing decks and refining decks I just don't because I'm too lazy and I'm not good enough. But not everyone out there does. And I think that there's a stigma surrounding net decking that you and I should address and discuss because people who crap on net decking and net deckers are wrong. And I will flat out yeah, say that. I agree. I think there's nothing shameful or wrong about net decking. And it's... I mean, it's human nature. It's the age. It's the reason why human civilization and culture has been able to advance to this level over the thousands of years that we've been around because we learn from other people and we copy what works. Right. You know? No, I mean, like, I mean, like you, you think that, like, okay, no, you go like, first. I was going to say, like, hating on net decking is like saying, hmm, Everyone should come up with their own mathematical proofs on how to, you know, do algebra or calculus. Like, you should not be able to lean on the discoveries of people from the past. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's like, imagine two groups of people that are, are trying to design an airplane. And you've both been working hard at it, but the dude across the room from you or across the field or wherever the hell you are designing this airplane actually gets his aircraft off the ground and sustains flight for any amount of time. If, and then the dude that you're, that you're working with, you see that. Both of you see that. You're like, holy crap. Uh, the Henry Fang did it. He achieved flight. What a badass. And then the dude next to you says, man, what are we going to do? And I say, well, let's go figure out uh, uh, clearly it's not a mystery because he's doing it in front of all of us so let's go see what his design's like and we can do the same thing and the dude next to me says no screw that screw that we're gonna do it ourselves why <laughs> freaking why yeah. like you could paint a racing stripe on it you could change the the tint of the windows and make it a little give it a little bit of your own personality but ultimately if your goal is to achieve flight you're going to copy whatever the best and most efficient design is at the time you could improve on it 
Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. you could always improve on it, but the basics are there, the concept works. And this is what really bothers me about people net decking. And I see these posts on Reddit all the time of people saying, oh, if I play against another one of these, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, it's coming from a place where, it's coming from a place of frustration where players just get tired of seeing the same deck over and over again. So they hate on the players that copy the deck rather than just yeah it's it's like it's like a way for it's a way for them to blame somebody for seeing the same thing over right it's it's misplaced annoyance is what it mm-hmm. is because i get it i mean how many like there were there were periods of time before but when I drove a crappy car that didn't have a CD deck in it, like years and years ago, I had to listen to the radio. And there were times where you'd go and you'd flip on the radio, and it'd be how I, how, uh, uh, um, how does it go? How how you remind me by Nickelback? And I'm like, gosh damn it! If I have to listen to this song one more time, then you change <laughs> channels, and it's how you remind me by Nickelback. And you flip back, and you hear a couple more songs, and then you go back to another channel, and it's how you remind me by Nickelback, and it drives you freaking insane. And you say, if I ever play against this, I'm gonna. And you and you blat and you hate. You don't hate the radio for overplaying it as much as you hate the song itself. But mm-hmm. it's not. It's not that. It's like the the song is good. You've just seen it too much. So it's you wish that you could make a song that that good in in a degree and it is it's misplaced because people are just upset that they're playing against the same thing over and over and it's really it's stubbornness because you're either not countering that particular deck so you're going to lose to it or you're not playing the deck and learning it so you can learn how to beat it and exactly that is something that really irks me because the the, the knee-jerk reaction from the community is typically to just crap on on the fact that net decking is a thing yeah and there's nothing wrong with net decking i think there is um uh some benefit or some bonus for coming up with a homebrew that actually works and you're able to win games with there's an additional level of satisfaction when you're like the only person or one of very few people who are playing this sort of archetype in the meta i know for myself i i dislike playing mirror matches uh, so it's better for me when I'm playing a deck that's not super, super popular, but that's just like, that's just a bonus for me. I'm not going to go and hate on anybody who's going to net deck and copy things that work because yeah, playing the game, piloting a deck and deck building are two very different skill sets. And a lot of people just want to focus on the first, the latter or the former and not worry about the latter. And so they copy decks, they know they play what what works and just focus on piloting. One of the most ridiculous things I think I have read this year was uh, there was somebody who was complaining about the most, I think it was the most recent Gwent tournament. Remember, there was like only four factions represented, right? Up to mm-hmm. six. Yeah. And there was no diversity in it, uh, to very little diversity in on any of it. And there were people who were actually faulting the players for mm-hmm. not being original for being too boring exactly yeah. and then you kind of step back and you say are you out of your mind because there's never been a situation for you particularly i would assume where you are playing a game of gwent where winning and losing is the difference of hundreds and hundreds of dollars wherein or thousands or thousands actually, in yeah. some cases exactly if you like there's a match stake so winning a particular match is is, is worth a particular amount of money but winning that series is worth thousands potentially so 
why is now really the time to be creative is now really the time to bust out that aglius you know uh um uh whatever you know an aglius all-in kind of boost meme deck is now the time to gain fans and you know maybe get a few retweets because you're hilarious because you brought aglius to a tournament no that's not the time and i think that it is very short-sighted and 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 silly for somebody to critique a player for bringing what has been proven to be optimal and to be to throw that and that which thrives within that ecosystem of that tournament that was the most yeah. ridiculous thing yeah i could understand blaming the meta like that it's um too narrow that there are only too few decks that are good or that are competitive but definitely no blame on the players and uh i think you know as we go through patch and balance updates and new releases the goal is always to get more diversity better balance and to have a higher number of competitive archetypes so that the players can actually have more diverse choices to bring to the ladder to the tournaments if they want to win. In the, sorry, I just, he caught me mid coffee. Um, what I've always said is that in most of these card games that I've played, um, you know, be it Hearthstone or Magic or Gwent or Runeterra or any of these, the population is 1% innovators, 90% followers, and 9% mm -hmm. don't care. They're, they are there to play one or two games, maybe, you know, or they're, they're there to play five games a week just to complete dailies. Um, those 1% innovators are very often, the, they are the content creators. They are the ones who have the time to do it. Because the 90% that are not doing so are basically the ones out there who are working nine to five and have a job and a this, but they still want to win. So yeah. they are out there with the same ambitions as those who have the luxury of time. And it's difficult because, you know, you can, you can play the game, lose many of the games and still enjoy your time playing if, mm -hmm. if creativity is where you get your jollies in the game i know that that's part of me it's like finding fun combos sometimes and such they're not always going to win but jank is is in itself a rewarding experience when it when it pulls off those that one win out of five games is more satisfying than winning four out of five of a net deck for some people do, but, you, do you remember repelmer yeah absolutely i remember repelmer he was a guy who spent literally nine months repeatedly jamming the same deck so that he could randomly hit Shawnee from Uma's Curse to get to play Shawnee in a Skellige deck to resurrect like a strengthened champion. And like he had a ton of fun doing it. He just played the same thing, rolling the dice all day long for nine months. And he finally got it after nine months, like a day before the homecoming patch, uh, which is crazy. But there are people out there like him who just, you know, they play for different reasons than maybe somebody like me who plays for more competition to play better decks to win. But I think, you know, you can play this game in a lot of different ways and there's no war, uh, one right way to play it. The there was a time, like you said, Repelmer has been doing did that spent months and months to just get that one role, right? That one random role. And I could only imagine the exuberance when you hit that Uma's curse and you find I guess it's the Shawnee or whatever it is. You mm -hmm. find the card you need. 
I built a deck once where it was, uh, it used Becker's Dark Mirror, Twisted Mirror. Which one was it? Visit BTM? Twisted Mirror? Dark Mirror? Yeah, originally Twisted Mirror. Um, yeah. So the card is basically, if a if a, a unit is, is damaged, uh, heal it and boost it by the amount damaged. So I would hit the Caranthir on the spear tip to, to damage it by 11. And then I would, it was like the best like three card punch. It was like Caranthir onto that. And then it would be uh, Becker's Twisted Mirror and then a spear tip. Like three cards worth, you know, 40 some odd points or whatever. And it was like a mm-hmm. decent, but it was like ridiculous, you know? The problem is, it's an eggs in basket, all in one basket situation where your win condition is literally a one point unit on the board. So any Just ping, pick, yeah. yeah, any ping, any stupidity, any random act of sadness would just ruin it. And I remember spending just one day trying to pull it off, and I was pulling my hair out of my head because of how, how, how it's like. And I think this was during like a, a it was. I think it was during a, a heavy Skellige meta where like Brockvar hunters were everywhere. Those one pings of damage were everywhere where they would do that one piece of damage or, you know, like here and there. And it you would just never had a shot at it. And I remember, and then I would, and then I would get upset because at first you have to draw the combo. Then you have to ask to survive. It has to work out. And then you'd probably lose. I think I won with it once. And it was because I had like a lady of the lake, where I'd use the Caranthir and then put the shield on the one-point unit because I was terrified. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But again, 1% innovators. So these are the people who are actually creating the decks that everyone else doesn't have time to actually create. And part of the process, and I'm sure that you've gone through this because you do so much in terms of trying things out. I know that when new cards are essentially leaked to us in the in inner circle, quote-unquote, whatever you want to call it, you're already theorycrafting. And in terms of how they can interact, but um, for 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 people like you know like us, we don't have that kind of that kind of luxury to go through the gauntlet of not just the time it takes and the thought and the creativity, but also the the absolutely brutal feeling of losing and losing and losing and losing. So. Like, I don't blame people or NetDeck because they're essentially taking a shortcut from the design and creativity process, the Mm -hmm. grueling testing process, and then through to the refinement. They have basically fast-passed themselves to the refinement Mm -hmm. and improvement stage. And that's fine. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Like, there's also, there's different levels of NetDecking, you can say. Like, I think there are plenty of people out there who will get an original deck idea from somewhere else, copy it, play it a few times, maybe start tweaking it once they get a little bit better understanding of how the deck works and what their meta is like, where they are on the ladder, and how to adjust the deck to better face what they're seeing. And also, if a a net deck is popular, the best way to understand how to beat it and what its weaknesses are are to play it yourself and and to get an idea from a first-hand perspective. Right. I mean, if, if if this is the other thing that bothers me, it's like, I get it. You're complaining that you're facing against the same deck all the time. Clearly, it's a good deck. Why are you not learning from this to beat it? For instance, 
this all in made shenanigans. I think we were talking about this last episode. We were talking about, uh, oh, we were talking about how to improve Inspired Zeal. And you were saying that nobody plays anything but Inspired Zeal unless you're doing some sort of all in made shenanigan nonsense where you need to mm -hmm. get the cards. Well, I started playing Masquerade Ball that week. And I played, you play Vincent and you play Imprisonment. And the amount of basically. Uh, Alzer's double cross into defender, Vincent kills it and they forfeit. It's like it, it, if if you are losing to that all in deck, you need to make a ref you need to refine things. You need to change things. Now, obviously, mages these days with Letitia and all this other nonsense, it's not as clear cut because you have like a nine hundred mages that you have to deal with. But you, you, there are ways to beat it, and this is why, for instance, something like uh, Mill became popular when. A lot of those um, those like hyper thin lists were were popular because mm -hmm. Mill absolutely punishes those lists. So that is a correction, but people were net decking also the correction. So people would then correct that, and there was this constant sort of ebb and flow of uh, of of decks and net decks and people reacting to them. And I and again, what people need to stop doing is complaining and 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 having a, a this sort of bad image of what a net decker is a net decker isn't somebody who is just stupid and wants to get a good idea off someone else's back because frankly there are not that many great ideas or great decks that are able to be built a net decker is somebody who says i am willing to try this i do not have time to be creative test go through that whole you know, several hours or several days process so that I can have one good deck so that I can complete my dailies so I can do my thing and have a free-to-play experience. Like, yeah. That's it's what, not something to demonize at all. No, and I, 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 I just see it a lot, and a lot of people have this bad stigma that net decking is just someone being lazy and stupid. It is absolutely not. As someone who is actually being smart about things and letting the bigger and bigger-brained and smarter people do the legwork and them improving upon that process. Uh, now, I will say this, that there are some pretty, you know, less than big brain net deckers out there who make absolutely terrible decisions because they have seen the deck and think that it is an autopilot deck and they've, they, they follow the guide and against good players, they'll lose because they're, they're making bad decisions given game circumstances. And oh boy, oh my, have I come across some of those in this past week where... Mm -hmm. You'll see the deck and you're like, I know what this deck wants to do, but I'm going to mm -hmm. present them a situation where they might not want to take it. And it's like, okay, like I would present, for instance, like those mages. It's like, I know you want to get to four. Uh, I know you want to get to patience. four patients. So what I did was I passed at eight cards and I'm like, okay, I'm passing at eight cards because I'm, I'm not going to let you grow because I can't touch your mages. So you're either going to give me my card back to get to four, and I'm not going to... Because I wasn't going to win that round anyways. Mm -hmm. They were going to probably dummy me. Or you're going to... Or I'll, I'll let you win on even, or I'll let you go down a card to get your four patients. And they went down a card. And I was like, okay. And then I ended up... But their defender was gone, because it was already played. So they had no defender, so I had access to their entire board. So I just started killing things. And I was like, all right, see? Like, you can get around this kind of stuff with the experience. I've never played mages, but i played against enough mages to know what their what their process is. And I think that's what net deckers possibly also do is like the good net deckers will take good ideas, pilot them properly, and improve upon them and refine them. 
bad net deckers are just going to take it and see that somebody else was successful with it and think that it's an autopilot situation, which it is not. There are almost no decks in Gwent that I would consider an autopilot deck. Lippy. Easy. Lippy. I, I mean, I'm you can hit on Lippy all you want, <laughs> but I think decks like Lippy, V, etc., they have uh, meditating mages. They have actually some of the highest skill ceilings in the game if you are looking at them from a really high-level perspective. If it's like top-tier went open level players piloting them, there are actually a lot of nuance behind it and counter strategies and counter strategies and strategies to counter the counter strategies and stuff like that. I will agree with you that you do have to be very high to believe that Lippy has a high skill ceiling. You are okay. <laughs> All right. I think that concludes the net decking portion of this podcast. We're going to move on to the mailbag now. Yeah, we'll be too back. Too much lippy hate. Too uh, much lippy hate. It's not. Yeah, it's not for your. It's not palatable at this point. We got in there, but it's all good. All right, let's uh, let's move along to the mailbag. All right, we're back with the mailbag this week, where you guys have your burning questions answered. You can submit them on Reddit, Twitter, uh, anything else. Uh, I got some from Twitch this week. Actually, I got some people oh. uh, sending me messages on Twitch. Yeah, uh, Reddit, Twitter, Twitch, Discord. I mean, those all work. All right, cool. So first up from Korea Lista via Twitch. How do you feel about the constant doom saying? Since I joined uh, during Way of the Witcher, I constantly hear Gwent is dead. I personally enjoy the game. Well, um, so... I hear this all the time, and this is always one of my favorite things to point out during any kind of event, um, CDPR video, any kind of thing that people will all tune in for for news or information or leaks or whatever, is that there's always the people who are saying, Gwent is dead, dead game, blah, blah, blah. Well, Gwent has been a dead game for essentially as long as I've played it, so uh, going on five plus years. Gwent has been a dead game uh in it was dead in open beta uh i think it had also died it had died once in closed beta uh when they took away passive abilities it died yep. yeah it died in open beta i believe it died in um like midwinter for sure oh midwinter it was dead and uh, then it died again when they announced homecoming yes and then it died when homecoming came well and then it okay, I, I will say the 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 greatest death was the the homecoming prior to home like the homecoming announcement to new content during home that six month span i will mm-hmm. say i thought the game was dead i i don't say it was dead dead but i thought i'm like well if it gets out of this more power to it but this was mm-hmm. that was probably the most dead it's ever been so people who say dead game during and then i think even if you say that was the most dead it's ever been because of no content updates for six months the meta was actually still pretty healthy and evolving at that time like I remember, four months into that six-month drought, there were new, there were multiple new decks, meta decks sprouting up, and people figuring out how to play them and how to counter them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is based on the fact that people were tired of the same old, so they dig into the new stuff and they managed to be able to, like I think as it is right now, 
between content drops, there's not enough time for people to fully explore and develop. Because like even right now, there are new decks that are popping up like Frost, let's say, like a control Frost list. It's like, wow, where was this like two weeks ago? It didn't exactly exist, but new cards didn't pop out. People are now exploring different avenues. Um, so yeah, uh, it was dead then. It was dead in Homecoming. It was dead um, when Syndicate was released. It was dead a million other times over and over and over and over again. So my opinion and my advice to you, Kurialista, first of all, thank you so much for the question, is that the game is not dead. Um, there's a season three, four, four, season four of, of Masters that are coming up. So you're going to have a whole year of competitive Gwent coming, which means that there's going to be new cards coming for that entire year. Uh, also, the people who constantly, you got to also think about these people who are constantly stalking this game to just wait for the aha moment uh, where they're basically saying, I got him. I, I was right. It is dead. Well, listen up. They've been doom saying this thing for all five years and the game's still thriving. These are people who. Every, really yeah, every game I've ever played has this vocal minority part of the community that keeps shouting that it's dead or it sucks and whatever, or it's going to die. It doesn't matter how good the game is or how popular the game is. They're, you're always going to find those people because and they just have nothing better to do. And you got to keep in mind, the people that are happy with the game, it's much more rare to find those people that are happy with the game, that are enjoying playing the game, spending their time on forums, on Reddit, whatever, and shouting, the game is alive. I'm having so much fun playing this game. They're probably just playing the game. Exactly. You know, well, like they're not really, what they're, they're not the type of people that are going to go screaming it at the top of their lungs. What I've said is that Reddit is 10% of the noise at 200% of the volume. That's what mm -hmm. Reddit is. Um, not to say that there's not good things that come out of Reddit. But, you know, the, the people who are constantly heralding the game is dead, like you said. Like, what what I say is that the people who are saying dead game are the same people who are, like, in the stands at a baseball game. And they're saying, that guy's going to hit a home run. And then the dude doesn't. And then that guy's going to hit a home run. And then doesn't. But then, like, when when the dude, when it happens, he's like, I told you so. I, for, I told you so. And they feel like such, you know, because they've been mm -hmm. saying the same thing, you know, for forever and ever that eventually they're going to be right. But no one cares or listens to them when they're wrong because they've been been wrong for so long. But when they're right, they're going to be like, I freaking told you so. But for now, they are wrong. So, yeah. And I've also been enjoying the game for what it's worth. And I think that it's constantly improving. Correct. I feel like we're moving in the right direction and we're getting, you know, with each patch, with each uh, new card expansion, we're getting more cool mechanics, different variety of strategies to try, and yeah, I like it. Yeah, the key element to that question was, Kurialista, is when you say, I personally enjoy the game, and that's all that matters. Don't mm -hmm. listen to anybody else. Don't, don't let anyone else convince you that you don't enjoy the game, because if you enjoy it, screw everyone else and enjoy the game. Because whether the game is dead or not does not take away from the fact that you are playing it and enjoying it. So enjoy it while it's there. Thank you for the question. Um, the next question was submitted to me in French. Uh, would you like to read it, Chidmiri? Yes, sure. Quels sont vos prêts à toi et Chine prix tournoi et avant match? Je vous souhaite un sponsor vite. Um... That was oh, impressive. Rate actually. my French. Okay. Rate my French. I will give you a solid seven on ten for that. Honestly, okay. um, that was 
That was superb, man. That was freaking awesome. Uh, so what that translates, okay. Quels sont vos prêts à toi et Shin, pré-tournois? Et avant match, je vous souhaite un sponsor vite. Uh, basically saying, what is your pre-tournament prep routines? I wish you guys get a sponsor soon. Damn, your French sounds good. I, 29 wow. years living in Quebec, man. Like, it'll get to you. Um, oh wow so did you actually speak french like I on am, a day-to-day basis i had to because i worked in the public sector or like, I, i worked in like the service industry and whatever so mm-hmm. and in quebec so there was a 50 50 chance that the person that i'm serving when i'm bartending or whatever was going to be french so i had to be able to speak wow. fluent in both so um there's something called franglais which is a mix yeah. of french and english which every quebecer speaks or montrealer speaks which is essentially nice. Where you say something like, oh, what are you having for dinner? Oh, je vais, je vais avoir a hamburger all dressed. It's like, okay, <laughs> that makes sense, I guess. Um, so, yeah. So, that's coming from Falcator uh, or Falcatore via Twitch as well. So, what are our pre-tournament routines uh, in terms of, I guess they mean casting. Is casting, what yeah. yeah. Well, you can go first here, I guess. Uh, obviously, I look over all the deck lists and try to figure out, you know, what are some of the uh, overall strategies, if there are any targeting that this sort of lineup is looking at. Um, I also try to, like you and I, we usually split up this sort of duty along, um, uh, along with the other casters to interview as many players as we can, usually the English-speaking ones, and just to get their thoughts on their strategies, right? And uh, if we have time, if we have the privilege to sit in on some of their practice sessions or their scrims so that we can get a firsthand look at, you know, the strategies that they're trying, the different lines that, or different you know, macro lines as well as micro tactics and strategies that they, that they found in some of these matchups that can be very interesting to keep in mind and talk about during the broadcast. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. So what Shinmiri and I do, I mean, is what the players do to a degree is, you know, is because they get the deck lists in advance and they kind of look at all the deck lists. So, I mean, it's easy to sort of look at just the leaders and the abilities and say, hey, we know what these decks are doing. But it's all within like the read between the lines parts. Those small bronze flex slots, that one gold flex slot, so to speak, that some people will take. You know, are they running the heat wave, the tall punish, or are they going for, you know, oh, this deck is running a lacerate? You know, I guess they're they're kind of worried about XYZ. Um and yeah, the scrimmage part is is actually quite awesome and i remember it because i i sat in and watched as as you know other players were were like or players in the tournament were scrimming against their partners or their teammates in particular situations and i know because i did this recently for a flesh and blood tournament and it was the most grueling and awful experience ever because the i think what we watched was people playing decks against like their hard counters to practice that matchup and maybe get an extra percentage of favorite favoritism because they've practiced it so much. I did this at the one preparing for the, the Canadian nationals for flesh and blood. And it's like, okay, here's this deck that I have that is really strong and I'm going to bring it, but I need my play partners to play the hardest counter to it. And I played it and I won maybe I won like three out of 10 of the matches, Mm -hmm. which was better than the never winning against it. Yeah. But that's basically what happens. It's like we, we prepare in the same way to a degree that players prepare. We watch the games and play the games ourselves um, because we need the muscle memory and the, the, the understanding of the situations that the players have. Exactly. We want to understand the matchups as well as the players, if possible. 
um, so that we can give you the insight of what the players might be thinking. Yeah. And for, for those who might wonder, we do not give away any of this information to anybody. We get the decks ahead of everyone else, uh, excuse me, ahead of everyone else. We do not discuss them with anybody. We do not even make passing remarks about factions or, or leaders that we're going to see at the tournament. And when we interview players, that information is kept confidential until it is no longer relevant. So yeah, for sure. That is, and if I ever like, for me, if I ever um, scrim or actually participate in a scrim against one of the participants, I always let them choose exactly what deck I'm playing against, so that I have absolutely no input or bias uh, on what to what decks or what cards or what text to bring. Exactly. So for like, for example, like Team Aratusa which I am now proudly a part of. Uh, which yeah, is, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, when we're practicing with another Team Aratusa member, we we as casters do not give the inf any information to the player besides the fact that, like Shinmiri said, they're like, okay, I'm bringing this list, play this list against me, and let's discuss strategy. And we don't mm -hmm. mention anything beyond lines of play in that little snapshot of existence right like you know like okay in this play should i have like is it better to do this or is it better to do this and then there's a discussion there's a, a right. conversation about it but that's that is essentially in terms of but that helps us as, as casters as well so that's not bad it definitely does yeah all right uh let's move on to a question from the schwartz via reddit what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about streaming on twitch Ooh. Well, um, I mean, you're you're a much more successful Twitch streamer than I have ever been in my entire life. Um, that is just fact. Uh, so uh, I will give my small advice, and then you could give them the correct advice. Uh, <laughs> the advice that I got was twofold. It was uh, consistency and uh, and I don't want to say professionalism. But like quality, consistency and quality. So like any television show, if people know when to find you, they will be more inclined to look to seek you out. If you are live every day at 11, make sure you're live every day at 11. Because at 11.15, if you're not there, they're going to find somebody else. So mm -hmm. that's part of it. If it's like, okay, every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday or whatever, just make sure that you have a schedule that you adhere to and... The quality of your stream for a thousand viewers has to be the same as the quality of the stream for one viewer. And that is an awkward thing to think about because when you're talking to one person or nobody, it looks weird. But for if somebody tunes in and you're not paying attention and you're just quiet and not speaking and not being engaging, people are going to tune out. So you're going to have to talk to yourself for a while, but eventually you're going to be talking to other people. That's the advice I can give. That's, that was really good advice. I would echo all of that. And... Yeah, I think that's exactly the number one thing, consistency. You know, on top of consistency and being streaming at the same time every day or, or having a set schedule so people know when to find you, um, time slots can also be a really big factor when it comes to a smaller game like Gwent. Gwent doesn't have, like, it's not like Apex Legends or Fortnite where it just has constantly huge streamers always streaming, right? And during the 24-hour day cycle... There are some hours where there are bigger streamers online and your small stream might be dwarfed out or pushed lower onto the on the page, right? When there are 
several uh, several people streaming that have like hundreds of viewers each. But if you have the luxury of picking a time slot, you can pick a time slot where there are very few big streamers and your 10 viewer stream is actually going to be on the first row uh, compared to at busier times where it might be on like the third or fourth row. Right. And that'll make it a lot easier for people to just organically discover you because they're interested in watching a Gwent stream. They're looking at the Gwent channel directory and you're on the first row. So uh, with Gwent, I feel like it's evening hours and North America time. So like somewhere from, I would say, 5 p.m. to like 10 p.m. Pacific is when I see the biggest gap in terms of big Gwent streamers. So if you're streaming Gwent, I think that would be a great time slot to try to pick. There you have it. I mean, good good advice. Uh, and then the other, one more thing. The yeah. other thing is like to kind of uh, brand yourself, to give your channel a little bit of a niche, whether you're, are you going for that super high level play so that people can learn from your, uh, from your channel? Are you going for uh, like, what, what's your audience? What's your target audience? What kind of style is your stream? Anything that can let your stream stand out is a good thing. You don't want to be like a, a jack of all trades, master of none type of thing. I, th I think that's going to make it a little bit more difficult for people to really latch on to your channel. Also, be yourself. I know this sounds yeah. so cliche, but there are so many people where... I, I, I remember once where I... I there was a... Like I hosted a, a stream or something and it wasn't like an Im Im immense amount of viewers that i brought them but they were a, a relatively smaller stream maybe like six or seven people in there and i brought like a like maybe a couple hundred into that stream and you know there's that like 10 or 15 second delay before they get the notice or whatnot mm -hmm. and they're kind of like they're kind of like being themselves and talking but as soon as they saw that a bunch of people got in they like turned on this like persona of like hey, what's going on? Welcome to this. And they're like, oh, bang, bang. And then like they were kind of went over the top uh -huh. of like a shtick. Yeah. And I was like, you're not yourself. You're playing a role of a streamer that you mm -hmm. think people want to see. When in reality, people are will like you for, for you know, yourself. Because you can't always be on. You can't always be well, putting a, a facade on, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's, I don't have any problem with any streamer who like exaggerates a little bit or plays into uh, a particular personality quirk on stream. But I think it's very difficult to keep up. And it's, it's very, very rare. You're going to find somebody who can actually keep that up for many hours a day, every day. You exactly. will get tired of it. So like... Yeah, unless you are really, really confident that you can keep it up all the time, I would, I would advise to just be yourself. It'll be a lot easier for you. You'll be a lot more natural, and it's just going to be less stressful. And you're going to, it's going to be easier for you to have fun streaming. Oh, and here's another good one. And, I, and I'm sorry to, to to add this on, but you know, like, when else are you going to get advice from 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 streamers like us? You know, the top echelon of Twitch culture, obviously. Uh, what was told to me, because it is going to possibly happen to you, if you're a small streamer listening to this, you may have already fought these demons. But when you're there and you're saying, look at my numbers, look at my numbers, they're so small, they're so small. I'm averaging 10 or 15 viewers, this is pathetic, blah, blah, blah. Imagine that those 15 or 10 people are in your living room listening to you speak. Is it a, is it a little <clears throat> bit more, you know, is, is that not a little bit more 
poignant to you. This was told to me because I was having the same kind of issues where I'm like, I'm not average. I'm like, I'm averaging like 30 viewers. I've been streaming for like a year and a half. Like, is it worth it? It's so blah, 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 blah. And then that was told to me. It was flat out said. I'm like, imagine you have 30 people who reliably go into your channel, engage with you and listen to what you have to say. That is huge. Everyone that you know right now cannot rustle up 30 people to listen to them speak on any given time. So mm -hmm. keep things in perspective. And the people that you are talking to and speaking to and engaging with are human beings who are taking time out of their day to listen to your content and to absorb your personality. So respect that, that they could be anywhere, but they've chosen you. So put bring that to heart. Yeah, great advice. Okay. Now, the man, the myth, the legend, one of my favorite people of all time, Devil Driven via Reddit has said, where would your dream Gwent tournament IRL location be? Now, we've already had a, a question like this, I think, Shinmiri, where it was like, if we had no budget and to put on a Gwent tournament, how, what would it look like? But this is like IRL location. So we could kind of mm -hmm. go anywhere on the map. Where would you take it? I already have the answer in my head. So... I've wanted, my, my wife and I had both wanted to travel to this place for a long time. We haven't had a chance to. So it would be great to uh, have a Gwent tournament there and get a chance to travel there. Chuck E. Cheese. As well. No. Oh, okay. It's, um, and it's also a place that I've recently been seeing other esports tournaments take place at. And that is Iceland. I really want to go to Iceland. And oh. I think Iceland is a really cool, unique place. with Lots of amazing scenery, obviously. And... They're not their 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 government does not seem to be apprehensive to hosting esports tournaments there. So yeah, Iceland is my answer. That's a great answer. Um, fun fact: I was uh, I was invited to the Cards K E R D S World Championship mm -hmm. to cast it in Iceland, and it's the same weekend as uh, Gwent Masters. So I had to, oh. I had to decline. I would have been in Iceland that weekend. So. Uh, Damn. It was a conflict, but I told him, I said, my heart remains with Gwent, so I cannot, uh, I, as awesome as a trip to Iceland would be. But you're right, the government there is, first of all, one of the most hilarious things is that the the company that makes KARDS, that makes cards, 1939 mm -hmm. Studios, like one of their lead developers, the country is so small, the lead developer plays soccer with the president every, like, Friday afternoon. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Um they are very, very into esports there. They're trying to develop it, that the government subsidizes a lot of the development of that. So they're all in on it. And yeah, Iceland is an excellent, excellent, excellent um, answer that just has reopened a brand new wound. Because <laughs> I was like... I'm sorry, I didn't know that. It's okay. You know who's going? Christo. Christo's going to yeah. be there. Uh, which, is, uh, which is awesome. Uh, yeah, but again... I, for me, I would love to have a tournament in like, I don't know, I, I don't want to say like Hawaii, but a tropical sort of island-esque resort style setting where everybody's in like these like, imagine Burja hosting this thing. You know how he has like those wicked cool jackets and suits yeah. and stuff? But like, but instead it's like a, a Hawaiian shirt He's got the lay on, you know, he's drinking out of a pineapple. The players show up in shorts and flip-flops. Like, uh, it's an outdoor venue. It's, like, probably humid and hot as hell, but still. That would definitely, that would definitely be cool. Uh, I, one of a kind. Right? Like, 
there's water and people show up on like little boats and it's like a volcano. The players are, the players are playing on like their iPads while on the pool sitting in oh, like this, this, uh, what is it? Pool ring or like one of those like inflatable tubes. Yeah. Inflatable tubes. Yeah. And they're just lying, staring at the sun playing on their iPad. You and I are (laughs) casting from the bar. (laughs) We both have daiquiris going. You were like, yeah. And then this happens, but who cares? Cause look at the weather. It's beautiful here. (laughs) Uh, I like how you take Iceland, a uh, land of ice. And I have taken basically the complete opposite of it. Uh, (laughs) The warm, sunny beaches of Hawaii. Uh, so yeah, thanks, uh, Devil Driven. That's probably where I would go. And Gwent has had tournaments in some pretty funky locations. They had one in like a dwarven mine. Well, a dwarven mine. Yeah. In like a Polish like salt mine or salt. something. Mm-hmm. Um, true story. Gwent Master Season One was supposed to be in like a castle with like a vampiric theme. Really? Little little did you guys know that that was. So I think we could talk about it because I think it's it's done now, but. Um, here's a little tidbit. I'm pretty sure the reason why season one was postponed as much as it was, was because they really, really wanted to have it in a big venue and they never got to, and they still wanted to do it because there was so much prize money committed to it that they didn't want to just have a, a, a small little spark of a, of an event. They wanted a gigantic bonfire and they didn't get it because COVID just didn't cooperate for as long as it did. And that's a little, uh, inside info, I guess. Yeah, unfortunate, but maybe one day. I hope. I still kind of hold out, hold out hope that maybe we'll get back to those bigger tournaments one day. We will. I I have full confidence that season four will be, if not the if not the first, then for sure the second event will be back on track. I have full confidence in that. I think we're on the right track. So, if you know, I haven't been vaccinated. Go get vaccinated, friends. That's that's my last piece of flake advice. Um, Good episode. I, I love you, man. I love you too, Flake. This is our, this is always really, really fun. I don't know what we'll call... I mean, if, if episode seven, next episode, we'll have... I guess we can continue the, the naming scheme, but we're going to run out really quick. Yeah, well, at the rate that Disney's pumping out Star Wars garbage now, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have something. We have at least three or four more, so uh, before we dig into like the expanded universe. But hey, if anybody could do it, it's this clown, okay? I got a... a, a this whole brain isn't good Gwent play in mathematics. No, no, no. It's filled with Star Wars and random names of hobbits from books that like, like yeah. add-ons and stuff. So, uh, all right, man. Well, hey, we love uh, we love our viewers too. Thank you so much for listening to the show wherever you're listening to it. If you have uh, haven't already, if you're listening to it on the Gwentfinity YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button. Very important. If you're listening to it on a podcast platform like Spotify, Google, Apple. Please follow and subscribe to that stuff. Whatever's free, don't give us money. But give us a positive review, a five-star review, or however it works, because that really, really is the absolute best way that you could support us to get us a little bit more clout amidst the algorithm. And uh, and yeah, Shinmiri, man, again, always a pleasure, my friend. Same here. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.